0: Welcome to the Dispatch Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Isger, and we've got Jonah Goldberg and Mike Warren today to talk about all the things. I think we'll start with NATO and then we'll talk about the 2024 election as Republican primary candidates race to that debate finish line, the first debate, August 23rd, and uh, we'll just check in with some of those campaigns. And on the other side, Joe Biden remains mired, it feels like, Uh, in problems from his side, including Hunter Biden, whistleblowers, all of that. Jonah wrote something really interesting that I want to press him about on that anyway. Let's dive right in. Jonah, I want to start with NATO, Because I just thought we could be doing some level setting here. There's so many headlines. Um, Can we just start with what are cluster munitions? Why does anyone care? And why is that all I can read about right now?
1: So uh, first, I have to ask you, do you ever call the brisket NATO?
0: (laughs) You know what? His grandfather always calls him NATO.
1: I, I, I sensed something. I just, you know, NATO. That's
0: exactly right. So husband of the pod's father. So paternal grandfather calls him NATO.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. See,
0: I call him Supreme Allied Commander because let's be honest, that's the role that a three-year-old plays in your life.
1: Pretty much. Pretty much. Okay. So cluster munitions, uh, they can be fired from an artillery shell or they can be dropped, launched from a plane. They're basically any, it's a whole, it's a blanket term for a whole bunch of different things. There's a technical word for the stuff that we're talking about, which we don't need to know. And, uh, um, the gist is, is they're basically, remember MIRVs, the multi headed nuclear weapons that turn into a bunch of different warheads? These are sort of the kinetic version of that where one canister can be full of scores or even hundreds of what they call sub and those explode. And they're very good for, Clearing out trenches, clearing out, you know, specific for specific battlefield techniques. The problem, the reason why they are so controversial is they have a failure rate or what people call a dud rate, which I think is a misnomer. Because when you hear something's a dud, you think it's not going to go off and that's not the problem. The reality is, is that these submunitions can, if they don't go off on impact, which is what they're supposed to do, they can lie basically fallow. They can lie in the dirt. They can get washed away by rains, and even years sometimes decades later, farmers can go over them with a plow and blow up little kids because they look kind of cool um, not the kids but the munitions they look kind of cool and they'll pick them up and think they're a toy or something to collect and in some countries they, they who are when the kids are scrapped collectors to begin with, and they can get maimed or die and it's terrible and the The problem is that over the years, the dud rate on some of these things was up to 40%. So that's a lot, right? And Russia's, which they've been using since the beginning of the the invasion, have a dud rate of between 30 and 40%. The dud rate of the ones that we are giving to Ukraine, there's a debate. We say that we're going to do everything we can to keep it under one or two percent. New York Times has some reporting that says it's like 14%. Um, it's controversial because they've been banned by over a hundred countries. The British don't like them, most of the EU doesn't like them, most of the NATO members don't like them for good and obvious and legitimate reasons. The reason why I am in favor of sending them to Ukraine is that Ukraine needs them and they're asking to use them on their own soil. They have every incentive to use them sparingly, discriminately. Um And with an eye towards what the aftermath will be like, because they're planning on this being their homeland. And the Russians, meanwhile, have been using them from the get go. Their dud rate is a feature, not a bug, um, because they've been targeting civilians from the beginning. They've been lost in cluster munitions at hospitals and and playgrounds, and um, they want to kill civilians because they've been trying to attrit the popular will um, or support for the war. And so I just don't think it's a morally equivalent thing. Where I do think the Biden administration deserves criticism, and then I'll stop, is on two fronts. One is, they said at the beginning of the war, under no circumstances would they send these things, and now they're sending them. Don't draw red lines if you, don't, if you aren't going to keep your red lines. And I wouldn't have drawn the red line. I just would have said, we're going to take things in a case-by-case case case basis. We'd rather not, but let's see what you know comes down the pike. We're not going to deal in hypotheticals, something like that. Two... There are some military analysts who say and I have no reason to doubt them that one of the reasons why the Ukrainians need cluster munitions is cuz we're not sending them F16s. Like they would they could clear out these trenches by other means if we gave them the other means. And you know, so Biden said, you know, yesterday at the NATO summit, you know, his big speech, our our support will not waver, will not weaken, whatever blah 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 blah. Morally, I think that's true and he deserves a lot of credit for the support he's given. But on the same time, the pattern has been from the beginning. Ukrainians have to ask for it's like Nate negotiating for a cookie, right? NATO negotiating for a cookie. Uh can I have it? No. 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 Okay, you can have half. Right? And um better I think we had that I'm not conversation saying that's, this morning. Yeah. So I I I I just think if you if you're gonna will the ends, you should provide the means. And rather, than in some ways, what the U.S. is doing is a little cruel to Ukraine because it's dragging out the process as it does all this support piecemeal. But other than that, I, I think it's kind of a no brainer to send them. But I think it is an honorable and morally consistent position to disagree with me on this one.
0: Mike, domestically, this is not surprisingly turned into a somewhat partisan issue, but plenty of people speaking out against sending cluster munitions it's become sort of an easy talking point again, without any of Jonah's nuance, or even I think understanding what really cluster munitions are. Um, what's your vibe within, for instance, the the GOP? Is this just a knee jerk? Biden says yes, we say no.
2: Well, it's a it's a weird uh, situation because it's not actually strictly partisan. In fact, it's 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 a bit of a wedge issue in the uh, Republican twenty twenty four field. You've got people like Donald Trump. And now Ron DeSantis yesterday, kind of following Trump's lead, uh, opposing Biden. I I I would agree with you in a kind of knee-jerk reaction. Um, If Biden is doing it, it must be bad. But it's. Well, let me just read what. So Ron DeSantis was on uh, Howie Carr's uh, radio show, um, I believe in Boston. Um, Yeah,
0: that it plays in New Hampshire. It's like your number one New Hampshire early state radio show.
2: Exactly. Uh reaching those primary voters, uh uh Santos was. And this is what he said. I'm just gonna read what he said when he was asked about Biden's decision um to send these. He said, I don't want to do this is Rhonda Santos, I don't want to do anything that's gonna escalate this conflict. I think that right now you have an open-ended blank check. There's no clear objective for victory, and this is kind of dragging on and on. Um, he went on to say uh that he would not send cluster bombs. If he were president, of uh, cluster munitions, um, I think it runs. I think it probably runs a risk of escalation. So uh, there is a theme, and it's uh, Vivek Ramaswamy is uh, another leader in this. Uh, uh, you know, in this idea that escalation of the war is bad, and escalation comes when America supports Ukraine. I mean, none of this, you know, considers anything of what Jonah said about who's, who started it or who started using cluster munitions, Um, it doesn't take into account any of the moral arguments that Ukraine has on its side. And it's interesting that there are Republicans, um, Mike Pence is one of them, Nikki Haley is another, um, who have taken a different position on this. It's become this wedge issue, but I'm, I'm, I'm struck by the way in which um, again, the second place candidate for the Republican nomination, Ron DeSantis, is following Trump's lead. Trump is basically saying this is escalation, this is bad, uh, and um, I think we're at a moment here where um, the knee-jerk reaction from Republicans is to not just to oppose Biden and what he's doing, um, but to um, essentially follow Trump's lead and 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 take for. For lack of like, look, I don't want to say that they're taking Russia's side on this, but they're effectively taking Russia's side uh, and, and Russia's argument that any support for Ukraine from the West and from the United States is an escalation. Um, I mean, I just find, I find that remarkable for Republicans, even in the post-Trump era to be taking that position.
0: John, obviously we're going to return to the Republican field and all of the wedge issues such as they are, but I I want to stay on NATO a little bit longer because as they're meeting, a lot of the other conversation uh, has been centered around Sweden uh, joining NATO and sort of appeasing, cajoling Turkish President Erdogan to get on board with that because it needs to be a unanimous vote I'm confused about Turkey being in NATO before all of these other countries that seem much more NATO-y than Turkey. And I don't just mean location. I, I mean, uh, vibes, I guess. I mean, mm-hmm, Turkey mm-hmm. has been a NATO problem now since Turkey became a NATO member and Sweden isn't a member of NATO. I was, a I actually was surprised by that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, just for context, Turkey only has like a toe in Europe, right? It's only on the, the stuff on the, the European side of the Bosphorus is, is Europe. The rest is Asia. And not that we don't love Asians and not that Asians can't be in NATO, but, you know, it's, it's awkward. So, I mean, you got to remember, so NATO's founded as a anti-Soviet thing, right? That's the whole point of it. And Turkey was a good anti-communist country. Um, it is much less of a good anti-Russian country. Um, and that's part of the problem. And Erdogan is kind of smart. I don't like him, but he's playing a good historic Turkish role of being the middleman between all these different regions, taking his backsheesh or whatever, um, from the Russians, from the Ukrainians, from NATO, from the West, and leveraging his position because he's got very significant strategic sw- sway here in that. I can't remember the name of the treaty, but basically, he's the one who can allow or not allow naval ships into the Black Sea, and he's also the guy who can allow or not allow ships to leave the Black Sea. And so it's that's 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 a good that's good hand in international poker. And um, so on the Sweden side, the Swedes, uh, similar but not exact to the Finns. The Finns, I think it was as. It was actually a negotiated thing with the Soviet Union. That's where we get the phrase Finlandization, right? It was like they Finland could not be a member of NATO during the Cold War because that was part of the deal from the Russians to leave it alone. I'm pretty sure that's the history of it. And so Finland had a sort of studied armed neutrality. Sweden came to its armed neutrality much closer to what Switzerland has by choice. and And one of the things you got to hand it to the Swedes is, they're not milk toasty kind of Swedish chef guys. They actually have a lot of good stuff and they've trained for, it's a serious military. And, um, and so it was just the Ukrainian invasion that said to the Swedes, all right, you know, it's sort of silly. We're, we're kind of using NATO as this de facto buffer. It's not like NATO wouldn't come get our back if Russia invaded Finland and Sweden. So we might as well join the party. Um, I don't understand, I don't believe the cover stories about Erdogan's reasons for not wanting Sweden in all this time. He claims it's all because Sweden, because of their whole moral superpower, human rights stuff, has been too kind to the Kurdish terrorists um, and harbors them and supports them. I've always thought that was sort of a bit of a cover story. I mean, not saying it's untrue. I just never thought that was a whole story. But I don't know that this has been reported, but there's a lot of, as fact, but there's a lot of conjecture that basically Erdogan said, he tried to get, okay, you can have Sweden in if you let us in the EU and that wasn't going to fly. So instead he says, send us a bunch of really cool jets. And, um, And I think that's what the deal is or will turn out to be. But there you have it.
0: favorite things, Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code DISPATCH at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. All right. uh, And for the sake of time, let's move on to the GOP field, Mike, because I mean, what I've been watching every day at this point and having some PTSD memories of from 2016 is the race to meet the requirements for the debates. The RNC set out very different requirements this year than this time uh, in 2015. But the big one is this 40,000 donor mark. So you have to have 40,000 unique donors, 200 in 20 different states. Now, you also have to have 1% and three poles. Uh, there's a few of the requirements, but those seem to be easily met. The 40000 is sort of your limiting reagent, if you will, If for those who are uh, in AP chemistry this year and listening to this podcast, that Venn diagram. All
1: six of you. Yeah. <laughs> maybe high. Maybe, maybe, maybe high. high. Six seems <laughs> like a overestimation. Including retired AP chemistry teachers. <laughs> oh,
0: okay. <laughs> yeah, <we're good. laughs> you remember where you would like suck the stuff out of the middle of the penny and that? Anyway. So big announcement coming this week that Chris Christie made that cutoff. So in terms of candidates that have said that they have made that debate cutoff now, you have obviously Donald Trump has made it, Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Chris Christie. So who's left out? The big one, right, is Mike Pence. And I think that they certainly are working to get there. They think they might or probably will get there, but you're running out of time and you see other campaigns trying some interesting tactics. Mike, I thought maybe you could explain what's going on in North Dakota. Uh,
2: Yeah. I mean, Doug Burgum, the governor of North Dakota, who is very wealthy because he sold a company in the late nineties, early two thousands, a software company uh, to Microsoft Um, you may have heard of them. Uh, and, uh, so he comes into this race as not very well known governing a small state in what I lovingly for, you know, say is flyover country. And so he is, uh, but he comes in with a lot of money. And so he's got this scheme now, um, where if you donate just $1, just $1, you can get a $20 gift card from the Burgum campaign. Uh, which is a great return on investment, I think. Um, you know, and it's essentially it's a it's a way, right, for the campaign to uh, get as many donors from uh, as many states as possible. It does it it does kind of demonstrate the way in which um, you know when you have a weak party structure that is trying to implement some kind of. Uh, uh, Some kind of requirements, like you have all of these unintended consequences, and like people will just find whatever they, whatever ways they can to like meet these now what seem now very arbitrary, um, you know, uh, requirements and and thresholds uh, to meet. So Bergam is doing that. Uh, Well, what's sort of
0: fun is so just for those doing the math at home, uh, let's assume he has five thousand unique donors right now. So he needs $35,000 and he would be doing a net loss of $19. So the campaign is willing to spend $665,000 to get on that debate stage, which honestly is probably well worth it compared to what will happen if you don't make the debate stage. But I thought Asa Hutchison, the former Arkansas governor who has has basically conceded, he's not going to make the debate stage. um, I thought he had a good point, which is look uh, you're by making this the hardest, you know, category to fit into. You're really incentivizing people with robust small dollar programs, which are generally going to favor candidates with more extreme rhetoric, uh, reaching a more uh, slivery part of the Republican base. Now, I think the RNC response to that would be: Look, maybe if you're actually struggling to get to 40,000 do- 40, donors, that's exactly what it's going to incentivize. Or you have the <laughs> high return on investment, half a million dollars plan here. But frankly, we're not going to have a nominee that doesn't have 40,000 unique donors. So we're trying to show Republican primary voters a debate with real potential options. The fact that gaming the system would make for some um, you know, negative externalities, like, well, then don't game the system. I don't know.
2: Right. I mean, look, I don't blame Doug Burgum for doing it. Um, I, I don't you know, he's gotta he's gotta find a way. And he he more than uh more than anybody really, you know, or or more than some of the more well-known candidates, needs to be on the debate stage if he's got any shot. Um, you know, he's probably going to have one shot if he does get on the debate stage to say something to take off. I'm I'm a little skeptical he's gonna <laughs> be able to take advantage of that but so i mean that's that's the place where we are right now i think i think things are so much more precarious for mike pence um and uh i've been asking um i spent uh several days with him last week in iowa like when are we going to find out how your second quarter uh fundraising went and i keep getting reminded you know he was only in for four weeks of the second quarter really when you rounded round it down it's three and a half weeks. So just keep that in mind. Um, that kind of uh, expectation setting seems like uh, seems like bad news for Mike Pence. What
0: happens to the Pence campaign if they don't make this debate?
2: Yeah, it, it's a good question. Um, they I think you start to have to have some real serious conversations. Um, you know, the kind of conversations where, and maybe you could speak to this Sarah better than I can. Um, I don't know who initiates those conversations and I'm sure every campaign is different. You know, is that, is that something where the campaign manager says it, um, is Mike Pence sort of self-aware enough to, to understand it? Um, so something Karen Pence brings him, I don't know. Um, but you do have to start having those conversations, but if he, if he makes it, I mean, look, he's, he's, he's all over the media. He was on CNN this week. Um, he's doing everything he can. Um, not issuing gift cards, but he's doing everything he can to get people to pay attention to him, uh, and uh, and maybe he does it, and maybe he pulls it out, and then. Uh, but I just think he's on a knife's edge at this point, which is kind of surprising. Um, but this is the this is the uh, the regime that the RNC has set up.
0: Presidential campaigns are all about expectations, and I think part of the problem for the Pence campaign is if the only people who could meet this donor requirement are, uh, let's be a little bit random about it. But Trump, DeSantis, and Tim Scott. I think Pence would actually be in okay shape. The problem is that you have, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy making it, Chris Christie beating him to the 40,000 donor mark. Um, I think that puts the Pence campaign in a rough place in terms of what it looks like behind the scenes. um, Look, no matter who calls the meeting, there will be a meeting called if, again, I think you're probably right that they probably make it for what it's worth. Um, But if for some reason they didn't or, and the debate uh, metrics ratchet up for each debate. So if they don't make some future debate, right, what happens is, you know, after that deadline passes, there's just a senior staff meeting called without an agenda. And then everyone sits and (laughs) stares at each other until someone says the thing.
1: (laughs) So, so first of all, couldn't we just have a different means of picking these debates? Like I think a scavenger hunt, Ooh, that's a good one. Would be pretty awesome, right? It would have and it has be to, be to be the Iowa, actual candidate. And it has yes. to be
0: for like things they should know. Like you have yeah. to get your Reagan t-shirt that says, you know, Iowa picks presidents and stuff.
1: And there can't be any like no staffers. Right. Each candidate has to be on their own running around the Iowa State Fairgrounds, you know, figuring out where the handicapped parking is, all that kind of stuff. I think it'd be fantastic. The next clue is hidden in the... <laughs> the
0: butter the cow. Home.
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> they have to break into the butter cow.
2: Can I write the riddles that the, <laughs> that the clues are? I would love to do that.
0: Uh, <laughs> but Jonah, this has been a struggle now the whole time. It was a struggle throughout 2015 and 16 for the RNC to come up with things that people thought were fair. Obviously, the Carly campaign... Did not think that all of the debate criteria were fair back at that point. This time around, instead of polling, which I think I, <laughs> I think I have written the most math-heavy operative memo in the history of presidential campaigns to show <laughs> statistically why it didn't make sense uh, what the RNC's metrics were last time. I'm going to spare everyone how that went. How, how many people do you think read that memo all the you, way through? You did, Matt, Mike. You read that memo. You loved that memo.
2: I loved it. (laughs) It, it, I put it under my pillow
0: at night. Speaking of AP exams, I mean, it really was like, (laughs) look, if you have two months and you say you have to have eight polls in two months, but six of the polls are in the first three weeks, that's not reasonable. (laughs) That was the short version. But then I had to walk through like all the math for reporters who presumably Failed math, and that's why they became reporters.
1: Yeah, we don't we don't know math. We don't know. Math. I think it's just remarkable how you can turn something that you clearly have PTSD <laughs> about into making it sound like it's a fun anecdote. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, look, I mean, I so like you know that um, there's that scene mm-hmm. in Scarface where Tony Montana is supposed to be helping the assassin kill the guy who's going to speak at the UN. And the guy and the assassin wants to blow up the car with kids in it. And Tony Montana is like, no kids. I told you, no kids. We can't kill kids. And the guy just keeps saying, stay on target. I'm going to do it. And then Tony Montana shoots him in the face. And then he yells at him saying, you stupid blank. Look at you now. That's how I feel about all of this. (laughs) Right. The Republican Party, both parties chose to democratize themselves into the, you know, it's like, get me my gelding knife. Um, and, and they, they chose to do this to themselves and now they've got this thing where they somehow think they have an obligation to be beholden to 40,000 small donors. Like who cares? I mean, as a statistical matter, 40,000 small donors is no more morally justified than one giant donor, right? Out of, out of a country of 332 million, million people, it's like nothing. And um, this is the kind of mess you get yourself into when you ride the populist tiger and you try to, you know, um, and then you're like at the last second, you're telling the tiger to turn its head and cough and they're like it just doesn't work that way. And, and you so have no I, idea
0: how much time uh, is taken up in these campaigns meeting arbitrary metrics that don't actually help them win the nomination because sure. they'll die if they don't meet this next thing. And so they have to each time be meeting the next, you know, hurdle that's only no, three. No weeks presidential away.
2: candidate left behind. I mean, that's yeah. really what it is. It's you know. It,
0: but it doesn't actually help you reach the voters that you need to reach. So you're you're basically running two campaigns: a debate campaign and a right. I'm trying to win the nomination campaign. And depending on who, which campaign you're on, and how big you are, that percentage can get really out of whack.
2: It's really codifying the onlineness. Uh, the, right. the on, very online to online problem with the Republican party to have so much of it you know uh, so much is is contingent on small dollar donors I mean a, a smoke-filled room I have to imagine would not allow
1: women. they the could oh, yeah well, uh, well <laughs> hey for <laughs> similar <can> we, <laughs> reasons <laughs> <laughs> no but look I mean like, here's one way to think about it right everyone knows we've I don't want to have to do my primaries or Terrible and should be gotten rid of things. Smoke food rooms a better thing. But let's just say the party had a rule that said unless you have held a federal or a, a, a major political office before, you cannot run for president in the Republican Party. Now, people will complain about that, right? It would have prevented Donald Trump from being able to run. Um, you could have a carve out for like former generals, right? So the Eisenhower rule or whatever, but you still have primaries. You just say, these are the people who can run in them. And like, that's a, if you're describing it on paper, if you're describing it someone in the 19th century or the mid 20th century, they'd say that's a totally reasonable rule for a party to have. If you imagine, if you tried to propose that kind of rule today, like, you know, every jackwad on Fox and OAN and Newsmax who, in the back of their head is planning on running at some point to boost their book sales would we'll be a like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're going to deny the voice of the American people. It's Why are all you canceling me. Right. It's garbage. Right. Like Larry Elder would take like a Vietnamese monk in Vietnam would upend a jerry can of gasoline over himself and set himself ablaze in the middle of LA. It's and it's all nonsense. Right. It's like, like the parties don't need to be democratic. They need to be responsible, serious things. And they're not.
0: All right, Jonah, now that you've, you've gotten that off your chest. Yeah. Are you surprised at who has made the debate cut off? Is the Chris Christie thing meaningful in any way about where at least a chunk of the Republican Party is? If Chris Christie can meet a $40,000, you know, small donor threshold, um, that's interesting to me.
1: Yeah. And, and this will circle back to our not worth your time point, but people like blood sports. And um, I think that the the problem that Pence has is the opposite problem that Christie is the benefit. Christie's in a much better position than Pence because people want to see the guy on the stage. Right. They just like the idea of Christie throwing haymakers. I am guarantee you a significant portion of the people who are the small donors to Christie. They're doing it as pay-per-view. They're probably going to vote for Biden. Um, but they just want to see him on the stage, you know, throwing haymakers. And like, I, I think Pence is a more honorable guy than I sometimes make him out to be. I have profound disagreements with him, but like, who says? You know, please pause, pause the DVR. I don't want to miss a second of this. Let me go get some popcorn. Pence is about to talk. Right, that's just not a thing. He's not. He he is this persona that is not entertaining at all. It's a real throwback. And so you combine that with this sort of, that's a facet of his lack of charisma and the Mac and the, in the Vibarian sense to begin with, he doesn't have a lot of political charisma. He doesn't cause people to want to like take up the raise banners for him. And that's how you, that's, that's, that's the problem. Christie, I'm sure, I'm sure Pence has a, potentially a lot more voters than Christie does right now, but Christie, people want to, they want to see him on the, the very special episode of blossom or whatever.
0: Mike, Uh, what's more interesting to me than Christie making that debate cut off before Pence is Vivek Ramaswamy making it before so many other Republican candidates. Can you explain? I mean, there's polls where he's now in the number three slot. He's behind Trump and DeSantis. And here's a guy who I don't think is running for president. I don't know exactly why he's running. There's rumors about, you know, Ohio Senate or just raising name ID or just, I didn't have a lot to do this summer. Um. And yet he's, I don't know how else. Look, the catching fire thing, I think, annoys me a little because when we say he's in the number three slot, we're talking about 8%, which in a different Republican primary is still absolutely nothing. But this is this primary, and you've got Nikki Haley and Tim Scott and the former vice president and Chris Christie, all these real people. And this dude is beating them.
2: It's a national poll. Where he's where he's in the where he's in the third slot. so
0: so it doesn't matter
2: <laughs> right. I'm not saying it doesn't matter entirely because because well Iowa and New Hampshire will be more influenced than they like to believe by national polls uh, and by sort of where the national mood is among Republicans. But I mean, look, what I worked at CNN for four years. I sat in the newsroom and in the DC newsroom, there are there is a bank of TVs. All around you. So you have a TV on your desk and you have TVs all above you, and, and you cannot escape cable news while you're working at a cable news network. Um, and the TVs that were tuned to Fox News, for the past four years, I would see Vivek Ramaswamy on my TV several times a week, dayside. I mean I usually wasn't in the in the office uh you know for primetime but I, I I he was on primetime a few times look like the guy if you wanted to be a viable presidential candidate while having no business being a viable presidential candidate like he did it and he he has been sort of ubiquitous and hard to ignore uh if you are a Fox News viewer the question for me is actually in a place like Iowa, um, does it does it stick? I'm skeptical, actually, that the shtick uh, that he has, uh, which he's been campaigning in Iowa, I mean, he's been appearing there. But for all uh, that I just said about Iowa voters being swayed by national polls, um, they also do, Republicans take it pretty seriously. And flash in the pan candidates don't always do well. They have to fit the state. Um you know, New Hampshire is maybe a little bit different, but at the end of the day, like Donald Trump is that person, not Vivek Ramaswamy. So um, maybe there's some Herman Cain, you know, going on here—a uh, guy who's fun and interesting, and he's been on cable news, he's been on Fox News, I should say, a lot. Uh, but but eventually peaks. That at the risk
1: of making a prediction, that's I, I don't know. I don't see it. So Sarah, can I ask you real quick? Do you do you have a problem with the the sort of Mary Kay style uh, pyramid scheme that, that that Vivek is launching to raise money? Um, or are you in favor of, you know, why should only the rich bundlers get to be able to send their wives to, as ambassadors to Chad? Um, the, the, the people should be bundlers too. I mean, how, where do you come down on this?
0: Okay, so I, I'm so glad you asked and you are going to be so sorry that you did.
1: Uh, <laughs> I did not take a position.
0: No, I I'm I'm saying you're gonna be sorry because like this is now gonna be the rest of the podcast. <laughs>
1: I'll check out now. Thanks.
0: <laughs> Thanks for coming, everyone. Uh so what his campaign has said is that you will get basically a 10% kickback refund of anything you raise for his campaign if you're a bundler. So if you get your friend to put in your code for a hundred bucks, you're gonna get ten bucks back. And this has gotten a lot of, I don't know, eye rolls, anger, chuckles from a whole lot of people about the Amway-ness of the whole thing. Here's the problem. In 2007, I made my TV debut. That's actually not true. I was in a Sesame Street commercial when I was four years old singing the ABCs. I really messed up around that MNLOP section. That was tricky. It remains tricky, frankly.
1: Yeah, but frankly... A safer environment to mess up the alphabet in Sesame Street. I cannot think of. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, I was I was very famous around my very small town for several days. Uh, no, it ran for like years, actually. In
1: Houston, Did people just pull you aside all the time, go L M N O P.
0: Wait, do you want to know something awful? I didn't realize I'd messed it up until you just said it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: not a speller (laughs) part
0: (laughs) okay okay so 2008 fast forward i'm a little bit older my alphabet's no better and uh, i am actually on abc evening news there because the mitt romney campaign has the exact same program it's for students so it's a little more limited than this one um but you know it was novel at the time and the romney campaign said like Hey, look, these students want to volunteer in campaigns. We can't really pay them to do that, but this is a way where they can sort of make money as a paid volunteer in its own way. Um, and it was, it was heralded as, you know, novel and clever at the time by most people. Mike, you were 50 years old at that point. I don't know if you remember it.
2: I was, a, no, I was a
0: college student. I remember. <laughs> you were eligible for it. <laughs> well, so this is actually then very funny. I, did not take advantage of the program at all because at that point I was a law student and there were, you know, you couldn't get paid for work and all sorts of other drama around that. It's how Elena Kagan and I sort of bonded when she was Dean because then there were headlines about me being under academic investigation. It was, anyway, it's a very fun part of my overall story, but not all that relevant to the rest of this. I think that most people are reacting this way because of the type of candidate he is and not because of the underlying program. Uh, There's no problem with that program. I mean, think about one of the programs that I have said is probably the most effective thing I've seen for actual turnout um, on the margin and voter persuasion. And that it's been on the left, but they've paid volunteers to talk to their friends because we know that's the most effective. Door knocking is pretty good, but like a stranger knocking on your door is only going to go so far. Your friend, who you know you knew from college, and maybe haven't kept in great touch with, reaching out as someone you actually know and trust and saying, "Hey, I'm voting for um, you know Joe Biden, and here's why." That was incredibly effective. It looks like in the state of Georgia, where they kind of piloted this program. And that's not that different. Paying someone to text their friends on their phone and showing like proof of texting.
2: It's only slightly less annoying than getting a call from your college friend to buy life insurance. You know, uh, right.
0: this is all kind of the same thing. And it gets to this larger point that I've I've been making for the last few years, which is if you came of political age in the 90s or even early aughts, you were told so much about the corruption of money in politics and that the like rich candidate always wins. That's not true anymore. we reached a tipping point where the marginal dollar is pretty useless to these campaigns. There's so much money that it's not predictive of who's going to win. And so you're finding campaigns trying to come up with new ways to spend the money. And some of those ways are incredibly ineffective. Some of them are going to be more effective. So yeah, I don't blame the Vivek campaign, uh, Ramaswamy campaign at all for this idea because money isn't going to decide whether they win this thing.
1: Yeah. So I mean, just to tie this to the previous conversation about NATO, no, to, to tie it to the previous conversation about um, <laughs> uh, the the rules for the debates. Part of the problem I have with this stuff is again, it's it's creating opportunities to hack a system that cares too much about populist widespread popular support, right? So you have Burgum being told he needs 40,000 donors. So he's going to buy 40000 donors, right? You have Vivek who trying to basically create a financial structure that incentivizes people to have a populist following of the guy, right? It's, it's getting the causality backwards a little bit. And it reminds me a little bit of... um. So since we're taking out the Wayback Machines, um, I was the founding editor of National Review Online. I was very interested in like web stuff at the time, right? It was web 1.0, um, maybe 1.1. and uh, And I remember when McCain, and I had friends working on the McCain campaign, had broke all records because again, the records were like three years old at the time. This is the 2000 McCain campaign. The 2000 McCain campaign where he raised all of this money from online donations and everyone's like, oh my God, this is the future. This this is amazing. What a brilliant, you know, campaign strategy. And the thing that bothered me, and I will admit entirely out of resentment and envy, was that the guy who was the web, the web guru, right, for um, McCain website. Was getting all of these interviews about how brilliant he was in designing the website and creating the website, you know, and the reality of it was, is that, and then he went on to have consulting stuff. And I don't, I don't remember the guy's name and I'm sure he's a wonderful human being. That's not my point. I was at the time an underpaid guy founding this thing using duct tape, right? To keep the website up and maybe having a really popular candidate drives traffic to your website more than using uh, something other than Helvetica um, in your design, right? This was like, they, they made it sound like somehow you could just design a website that would attract people from hither and non, like they would get a beam in their heads like the people in Close Encounters who had to make it to Devil's Tower. Oh, it's a well-designed website? I will go to it now. And um, and that's sort of the problem I have with a lot of this stuff is that it is? it's getting the causality back. If you're a popular candidate... 40,000 is no big deal, right? If you're a serious candidate, 40,000 is going to be no big deal. By setting up these rules, though, you create all these opportunities for non unserious or unviable candidates to hack it. And um, um, And I'm just a simple rules for complex society kind of guy.
0: By the way, just really funny footnote to your website point, the amount of traffic that actually comes to... Campaign websites, like someone types in Carly Fiorina for president.com or whatever the iteration is, like zero. It's zero. It doesn't matter how good your website is. People, and this is true across the board for websites, for those who don't work in any of those type of industries, people come to your website by clicking on something else. Nobody's typing it into their URL or even Googling it for that matter. Like it's just not really how it works.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can make a really great store. It looks really pretty. But if it sells, Warm kale, it's not going to do as well as the mediocre built store that sells ice cream. Right. That's that's sort of the point I'm making.
0: As Threads is proving, this podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this for
2: the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com easy. Ramp.com easy. R-A-M-P dot easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
0: All right, let's move to the other side. Um, It's obviously not symmetrical. There's not really an ongoing Democratic primary. And yet there's RFK Jr. bopping along, getting all sorts of headlines all the time. It's kind of weird, Mike. What's the do you have any comparison for what this is?
2: No, uh, although he's not exactly getting the kind of headlines you'd want
0: all press if is you, good press, Mike. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, I mean, there's. A, should we talk about this New York Post story about the <laughs>
0: yes Please bizarre? Just start okay. with the headline and then go read it word Sh- for word. Do the uh, whole thing. Uh,
2: well, I actually read this out loud to my wife this morning. Correct. That is what
0: every marriage should be doing right now.
2: Because it is it is by far the funniest thing. I got to pull it up here. It, it, it's it's unreal. The, the headline. So, uh, to be fair, this is page six. Uh, so really the kind of, um, highest level of journalism you can, you can get Robert F. Kennedy Jr. press dinner explodes in war of words and farting. That's the hell. I mean, like you would think that the story could go nowhere. It promises so much. And it promises it so delivers. much. It delivers in a way that I can't <laughs> even believe the, 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 lead is fantastic. Camelot. It ain't. <laughs> Page Six regrets to report that a press dinner to boost Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s presidential campaign descended into a foul bout of screaming and polemic farting Tuesday night. The White House hopeful attended an affair at Tony's on the Upper East Side, no doubt hoping to impress on the ladies and gentlemen of the Fourth Estate his worthiness to sit at the very same Oval Office desk once occupied by his late uncle, but a shouting match over climate change broke out between two boisterous old men. Sending the evening down an extremely unfortunate path. I'm I'm just going to leave it there because
1: like, no no I got to hear more. I haven't read the piece. You want so.
2: oh so Johnny? You haven't read that? Okay. <clears throat> All right. Well, I will continue then. Tell stop me when I when I need to stop. The gaseous exchange. <laughs> To which page six. I can't bore,
0: believe you were going to stop before the gaseous exchange. It's, called, dare leave, you it's sir. called
2: leave them wanting more, but I'll keep going. <laughs> to which page six bore reluctant witness began after a guest asked Kennedy, founder of the ecological organization Waterkeeper Alliance, about the environment. And it seems that the mere inquiry was enough to set off apparently drunk gossip columnist turned flack, Doug Deckert, the host of the event, who became enraged and screamed at the top of his lungs, the climate hoax meanwhile octogenarian art critic anthony hayden guest see it gets better and better who appeared to have been sleeping happily for most of the dinner (laughs) was roused by the abrupt rumpus hayden guest suddenly opened his eyes and denounced his longtime pal deckert calling him a miserable blob shut up implored hayden guest he explained Uh, deckert continued to scream wildly About the climate change scam, while Hayden Guest peppered him with verbal volleys from across the table, calling him variously effing insane and, quote, insignificant. Meanwhile, Kennedy, a prospective president of the United States, watched calmly. I'm I'm going to do it. Wait, but
0: where, How? okay, the whole point is that the farting has to be intentional for this to be newsworthy. Hold on,
2: hold on. We're getting there, Sarah. Is the
0: point that like climate change is driven by cows, like methane gas? And so they're proving a point of what it's like to live in a climate of methane gas.
2: If if only it were that <laughs> high-minded, Sarah. <laughs> the, the post continues. Here it seems Deckard sensed the need for a new rhetorical tack and let rip a loud, prolonged fart while yelling, as if to underscore his point. I'm farting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I broke there.
0: I broke there. Steve Hayes is going to be so mad at us, you guys.
2: <laughs> Go to Spain, this is what you get. When Steve is away, the Dispod plays. Uh, the room, which included a handful of journalists as well as Kennedy's campaign manager, former rep Dennis Kucinich, was stunned, seemingly unsure <laughs> about whether Deckard was farting at Hayden Guest personally. Or at the very notion of global warming.
0: That's in uh, your general direction.
2: <laughs> totally. All right. But last, regrettably, we may assure, this is page six, we may assure readers that there was no room for doubt that the climate changed in the immediate environs at the dinner table. All right. I can't go I can't do it anymore. I can't I'm, I'm I know lose it.
0: that several <laughs> of the writers and editors over there had to pull an all-nighter to get that out. And yes. yeah. I just want to thank them for their service. And and let them know that it was worth it.
1: It's really why the post exists.
2: Absolutely. So the story goes on, but I think you get the gist. Uh, So look, do I think Robert F. Kennedy has a chance? No, Uh, but uh, I don't know. I'm I'm one of these who who seems to think Biden is underestimated. Not only obviously he's going to win the Democratic nomination, but I think he's underestimated in the general election. And for all of the uh, legitimate concerns about Hunter Biden and his age and and the position that he is in terms of approval rating, um, I, like things seem to be going okay and maybe a little better than they were six months ago for Biden. Um, and uh, and the sort of the S show going on on the Republican side, like seems to only benefit him. So that's my view.
0: There was an interesting headline, Mike. I was wondering if you had dug into it at all to exactly this point of like, okay, but like overall strength heading into a presidential election. And the headline for the New York Times was about a recent study, and it said, GOP led in midterm turnout, a red flag for Democrats in 2024. Even though Democrats held the Senate and other key offices, Republican turnout was more robust, and the party showed strength among women, Latinos, and rural voters. So what that means is that Republicans might have had a smaller chunk of the overall electorate, but they were able to turn out a higher percentage of their chunk um basically which is a uh, it, it's interesting from an enthusiasm standpoint i think it goes to your question mike about overall strength of joe biden enthusiasm for joe biden i don't think has increased since 2022 um but it all comes down to like yeah but if the chunk is big enough you can you can lower your enthusiasm and even turn out and still win but I'm not sure you can lose young people, Latinos, women, girl, I mean, ugh.
2: well, it it will certainly help raise enthusiasm for Joe Biden if Donald Trump is the Republican nominee. Um, I mean, I think that's uh, I, mean, I guess 2022 is sort of a reversion to the to um, to the standard uh, for midterm elections, which is Republicans
0: party out of power and Republicans. And when it's both, it's like a double bounce on the trampoline.
2: Exactly, and even then, I mean, structurally, there were problems for Republicans in twenty twenty. But even then, it was sort of under underwhelming uh, uh, for them. Um, look, I, I, I just, I, I think that the the reason Joe Biden is president and the reason he's in a good position not not going, not guaranteed, but in a good position to win reelection is the Republican Party, right? I mean, like he, like he is blessed by his opponents, um, and. Um, I mean, you can even see the the non-Trump candidate, the, the leading non-Trump candidate, Ron DeSantis, uh, is running to the right um, of Donald Trump, and in in so many ways, and running more populist. Um, do we think that Ron DeSantis is going to be a more popular general election candidate for Trump style populism than Trump is? Um, will that, you know? will that will that do anything to uh hurt joe biden in terms of those young people and and women like no i think it it all helps him so um i i do think at this point biden is a little underestimated and um we should be giving him um i i i just think he's 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 not he's not as bad a position as his approval ratings maybe suggest
1: i might disagree on this I think first of all we should say something about the economy thing right the, in, the inflation news is very good news for the Biden administration it means nothing right now but like if the trend that's if 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 it's a straight line projection from the trends of right now through 2024 I think Biden's in really good shape wages growing faster than inflation inflation coming down all that stuff is very good okay check that box where I kind of disagree with you about this is so in 2020 Biden has a huge popular vote win, but forty four thousand votes in three states. But for those, with, with Wisconsin, Michigan, someplace else, it would have been a tie in the electoral college and gone to the House, which would have been fun, right? I mean, just like good time company picnic, noodle salad, everyone be, you know on their best behavior. But so you know, so Trump in in twenty sixteen it was what sixty eight thousand votes in five states that that, is that it, right. The Biden running as an incumbent is underperforming with everybody. You have Cornel West running who you could see getting going nowhere, except in so far as putting it out there. Biden's a warmonger. Biden's bad. What has he done for you lately? Um, And. Robert F. Kennedy sort of doing the same thing with a constituency they need to be enthusiastic And then you combine that with the fact that he is underwater. He's lost all of his margins. It just feels to me like the election is going to be a lot tighter, even if Trump is is the nominee, which I think might be part of the reason why you're starting to get some of this more palpable agita about Biden running from certain quarters, because they're like it's starting to dawn on some people like, man, this, this this horse I, I, I don't know that it's going to get us across the desert, but we're already so far into the desert, right? There's like that kind of vibe out there.
0: So Jonah, we had been talking offline about uh, the, the role Hunter Biden is playing in the Joe Biden administration, his potential reelection, all of that. And you were like, oh, I want to ask you questions about this latest whistleblower thing.
1: But we've and- gone way too long.
0: And no, never. And the DOJ charges him as an unregistered uh, foreign agent for China. And I'm like, oh, that's so great that Jonah, you know, really wants to dive into this. Um, And then I read your piece, which is totally about it, spot on, and exactly what I was going to say. And I'm like, F you, dude. (sighs) Just, that's ridiculous. So, A, I do want you to explain your piece, but I want to start this off by noting that there was a new poll in terms of whether this matters, oh, nobody cares about Hunter Biden. 56% of voters agree Biden, quote, likely took bribes in office. This is from a tip poll. And for those who are like, yeah, but what's tip? I haven't heard of them. Uh, IBD tip is actually given an A plus rating by 538. They called 81% of races correctly. Um, yeah, like this is a really legit polling company that has found that 56% of Americans think that the sitting president who's running for re-election has taken bribes. And a lot of that's going to be around this sort of smoke Hunter Biden whistleblower stuff, um, which, again, I think everything you wrote, I would just sign my name to. So explain what you wrote. Explain yourself, Jonah Goldberg.
1: I won't get into the history of Watergate or any nope, of that stuff. Skip,
0: but skip.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, people ask me, and I'm sure they ask you guys, you know, why aren't you guys covering the Hunter Biden stuff more? Why aren't you talking about this more? Why isn't it in the morning dispatch more? Why aren't you outraged? All that stuff. And, um, and then
0: they fart at us.
1: And then there's, yeah, then, well, you know, I was going to mention Benjamin Franklin, one of his most famous essays was titled Fart Proudly. See, it's it's history. We're talking about history That's right here. Hey, are you? Uh, do you hate Ben Franklin? <laughs>
0: He's not my favorite. Let's be real. Yeah.
1: yeah well, there's, there's a lot of syphilis. Anyway, so um, what was I going to say? So, so yeah, look, who cares? And, and, and so look, part of my reluctance to follow it is, is I don't trust any of the people who are heavily invested in this on the public stage. I think the Republicans constantly get out over their skis, exaggerate what they have um, straight up mislead. Um, the audience is so desperate for developments to unfold on their timetable, like at cocktail hour for Fox News or whatever, that the incentive structure for a lot of pundits and you know TV lawyers is to no offense, sir, um, is to give people more than the facts can provide and get people worked up and excited about this stuff. And I also don't trust. The Biden administration, which I think has been sort of obfuscating, condescending, misleading, stonewalling on all sorts of things. I don't trust Hunter Biden's lawyer um, who says all sorts of crazy stuff that I'm waiting to see if he will actually say it in court. Um, and and so the problem is, is that I think it's obvious. I think we, we've talked about this a million times. Hunter Biden's a corrupt dude, right? I mean, they're like by almost any definition of corrupt, he's corrupt. Um, morally corrupt, ethically corrupt, financially corrupt, whatever, politically corrupt. But there's no evidence yet that any of it has spread into, that there's no concrete evidence that Biden has done anything that people can actually identify with some serious concreteness. And so this is just one of these sort of stories, much like the Valerie Plame. I mean, there are lots of these things that happen where you're just like, we're not going to know until this ends up in a court of law about some of this stuff. And because, and the wonderful things about courts of law And this is the real reason why Sarah liked my pieces was his love letter of the judicial branch.
0: It was was like a reverse first kill all the lawyers or what the actual meaning of the kill all the lawyers point was. Yeah, it was good. Uh,
1: The thing about courts of law is that you're not allowed to lie in them and there are costs to lying. There are no costs to lying on Sean Hannity show. There are lots of benefits Um, and uh, there's no cost necessarily there's no law no penalty for lying from the white house press room and um and so i think there's a lot of shady stuff going on here i do not understand what a plausible explanation for all these shell corporations that apparently the bidens have created um it looks kind of skeevy but at the same time I don't trust any of the narrators. I don't trust any of the facts. We've gotten all sorts of stories that have seemed like they were bombshells that have fizzled over time. And it feels a lot like the, in some ways, the, the Trump Stone election stuff where Trump lied all the time, but his lawyers didn't lie in court. And that's sort of where I am.
0: Do you know the two people that I trust least about this? Hmm. One, Hunter Biden. So every time that we have some text messages or email or whatever of Hunter Biden saying that his dad is aware of something or part of something, I don't trust Hunter Biden. Of course not. Hunter Biden has lied about everything. Why would he be telling the truth when his incentives are very much to pretend that his dad is involved so that he can shake down people for money? So I don't trust Hunter Biden. Hunter
1: Biden told the IRS that his West Coast hooker was his personal assistant. Oh, no, We don't know that that's not true. I mean, they she could have been <laughs> doing fair. both. Fair, fair.
0: Uh, but the person I now second least trust is this whistleblower um, in the sense that, like, yep. Uh, and let me back up. Hunter might be telling the truth. It's just that I don't trust him because he lies so much that, like, who knows? Same with this whistleblower. Jonah, as you pointed out. The indictment had been uh, under seal since November. So the order of operations is the guy gets indicted for being an unregistered Ford agent. Then he turns whistleblower against Hunter Biden. Again, could be telling the truth. Let's be real. Mobsters are more likely to be witnesses to crimes. And they're mobsters. Like that's how that's going to work oftentimes. But your incentives are a little bit different than the nice old lady who was looking out her window at the time in terms of how much I'm going to trust you without corroborating evidence. So just, I 100% agree, Jonah. Um, When all we're seeing is so-and-so said this and here's the email or so-and-so told me this, it's just, it's not enough. When I know that there's actual financial records of all of this that should be pretty easy to trace and that frankly, the Department of Justice has been looking into now for a really long time, so I'm confused about why it's taking quite that long on the DOJ side. But there we are. So yeah, that's why we don't talk about it more because we don't know. We're sorry. I don't know.
2: Can I can I say very quickly that to just kind Is of Is it
0: I'm farting? Is that what you want? No, to
2: say? it's it's not. It's not. <laughs> it would not lie. Uh <laughs> the just a like a peek behind the curtain here in terms of like how mainstream media kind of is having to deal with bad actors like this. Um, just my experience. And, and I want to say, to preface it, that I do believe that there is uh, bias from mainstream reporters when it comes to, in this particular case, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. Um, there's a sort of knee jerk sense among, particularly higher ups, uh, to sort of um, uh, give the benefit of the doubt where that wouldn't be the case um, for, say, a Republican. Um, all that saying, I used to have regular conversations with Rudy Giuliani in 2019. uh, Speaking of famous public farters. Exactly. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go on. (laughs) Um, In which he would uh, berate me for not reporting on Burisma, Hunter Biden, all of the corruption going on between Joe Biden and Ukraine and blah, 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 blah. And I would just say, okay, Rudy, I hear you. Give me the evidence. Like you say that there is all this evidence here. Um, I'm a reporter. Uh, you're calling me, telling me to write the story. So, 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 tell like, give me what you have. And his response is, was always, uh, "You wouldn't report on it if I gave it to you anyway." Um,
1: so, um, like, you wouldn't believe me if I showed you the picture of my supermodel girlfriend from Canada.
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, it, it, totally that vibe. Um, and so look, I, I just think for for sort of consumers, you just remember like a, a lot of reporters are asking questions like that. And you do have bad political actors saying things. I mean, Rudy Giuliani was going on Steve Bannon's podcast or or Fox or wherever saying all kinds of the same stuff um and saying this is why the New York Times and The Washington Post and CNN and all the rest are not covering this is because they don't want to. Um, it just wasn't necessarily true. We were asking for it. We just, we didn't get it. So that's my two cents on that.
0: All right. We're moving to not worth your time question mark. There is a fight brewing maybe um, between Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg. And I think we can skip over the whys of this and um, all sorts of other pretty relevant details and just get to the facts which is that according to totally unreputable Google searches, uh, Mark Zuckerberg is 5'7 and maybe 154 pounds. And Elon Musk is like 5'11 or 6'2. Again, depending on your Google search and unreputable source. uh, And probably a little over 200. You've got... Oh, no, sorry. uh, They had him at 180 on one of these. So like maybe there's only a 25-pound difference, but a height difference. Maybe it's a little bit more. You can look at some pictures of the two of them uh Zuck looks you know pretty cut at this point, all things considered um Elon Musk looks a little blobby. you also though have to factor in that a lot of it, it's become a a bit of a Rorschach test of a lot of people just disliking musk for reasons that have nothing to do with his fighting capability and I'm just curious how much time you and your friends have spent deciding who would win in and I want to be clear this is. MMA style fighting between the two
2: octagon. We're yeah. Talking. So like
0: okay. we're not doing a boxing ring here. Like I, I think that that has weight connotation, you know, implications that like aren't going to be present here necessarily. Um, because the answer for me is like quite a bit. Like I didn't actually ask David French's permission to have this conversation, but David and I spent a long time talking about this. Just the two of us, just, you know what we do. um, David and I disagree pretty profoundly. I'm curious on uh, on what you guys think.
2: So the answer to your initial question is no. My friends and I have not been discussing <laughs> whose.
0: This isn't the Warren pillow talk as you're falling asleep, baby. How was your day? Well, I spent a lot of time. Thinking
2: about the dudes group chat spends a lot more time talking about you know uh, 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 an issue that Mark Zuckerberg is very into: smoking meats uh, and and grilling. So. Um, but if you're asking my opinion, I saw that recent photo of of Zuck no, oh, of Zuck oh, no the cut photo yeah the, 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 the you know where he's he's got like a, a an eight pack and he's got his trainers like I don't care about the height difference. I'm taking Zuck in that fight uh, uh nine times out of ten
0: interesting. so you think the little guy who is muscular beats a big dude yes, okay, Jonah
1: yeah, so I've talked about it. A good deal it's really it's like it's 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 interesting it's either not at all or a lot right it depends on the person right um it's not like it's not like the submarine where everybody talked about it at least a little bit right um i uh, you know my understanding from my deep researches which i've been to many of the same sites that you apparently have been to sarah um is that Zuckerberg is legit into jujitsu. Is that it, right? And um, and Musk said he basically took some karate and judo lessons when he was a kid. And so, uh, all things being equal, I think you you generally bet on the bigger guy, right? If they're in reasonably equal health, you bet on the bigger guy just because so they have better reach. They're yeah. um,
0: Musk is also what ten years older.
1: Yeah. But if Zuckerberg actually knows legit jujitsu, or I think it's jujitsu, um, Legit
0: jujitsu though is the name of my band.
1: <laughs> well, no, like I, I know people who've taken real jujitsu, and like if you're actually getting belts and doing all that kind of stuff, I think Zuck cleans Musk's clock. Do
0: you know the Vegas line is the other way? Is it really? Yeah.
1: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not Musk. I'm sorry. Zuck. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. I mean, the
0: Vegas line is favoring Musk. And I think it's is that interesting right? that all of my friends think that that Zuck takes this and i just wonder whether the like political valence of not liking musk is just clouding people's judgment i don't know mike no
2: but 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 listen to this it's not jujitsu. it's brazilian jiu jitsu which is a particular uh, uh uh discipline
0: oh well that changes everything maybe the vegas line doesn't know about that
2: excuse me listen to this <laughs> from may uh tw- 9th 2023 meta ceo mark zuckerberg won 2 medals in a brazilian jiu jitsu tournament held at a silicon valley high school saturday Okay, so oh my case, <laughs>
1: case closed, Sarah. <laughs> so, but like, I what I think is sort of interesting about all of this is the absolute zero sympathy anybody has for either of them in the sense that like, Look, a lot of hard scrabble guys coming up on the wrong side of the streets. They have to become boxers to you know, keep their grandma from getting yeah. evicted and blah, like blah, blah, the blah. Power blah, blah.
0: of One, that book about the South African.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's or or like Cinderella man, I gotta get the electricity turned back on in my depression era home, you know, and that's why I have taken to these these fisticuffs. Like, these guys have zero reason to ever fight anybody ever, right? They have all the security they'll ever need. They're when you think about w-
0: evolutionarily, it's the whole point of becoming wealthy, is to not uh, uh, subject yourself to the potential of physical violence.
1: Yeah, he, They could have, like, Praetorian samurai, I mean, all these things surrounding them, right? And so, like, it is purely the dumbest form of male ego involved here. I mean, really, just the, the crudest... They might as well just take an ice cream scoop and pull out their lizard brains from each of them and just see whose is bigger, because that's that's all this is about. And I kind of have an Iraq Iran, Iraq Iraq, war Kissinger vibe about this. I don't want anyone to die, but like if they could both hospitalize each other, that would kind of be for the best.
0: It would maybe teach a lesson to all those other little boys out there who are thinking of solving their problems with just fighting the dude, perhaps. Um, Elon Musk at one point responds. Let's have a literal Mm -hmm. measuring contest. Um, I have, I and mean, we can't. For their
1: hands for their hands. Is it that wasn't their we, hands, Mike. No. Mm. It
0: wasn't their hands. I don't.
1: Figuratively speaking, yeah, they wanted to measure their Matt Gates's
0: If <laughs> if we were to have an all female dispod, um, we would now spend the next twenty minutes talking about this. But I'm not going to we gotta wrap guys. up, don't we? Yeah. We got to. We wrap do. Up. We I mean, do. But
1: Steve is going to be like like. Friggin' Darth (laughs) Vader sensing a disruption in the forest any second now if you start going down that rabbit hole. No,
0: I just want to be clear. That makes no sense. You guys, and I mean males, have been doing this forever. And again, there is no correlation between that and anything else. Certainly not your procreative abilities, the likelihood of your children surviving to adulthood, like nothing. Why are you measuring that? Why is that the benchmark? I, I don't know. Why? And no one can, I don't want y'all to answer that question for me. I want to leave it hanging out there. The
1: next time you're on the remnant, we'll figure out a way to, we'll figure out a way to talk about this.
2: I'm Homer Simpsoning back into the
1: (laughs) the hedge.
0: (laughs) And that's where we're going to leave it listeners, because um, I hope that y'all appreciate what happens when Steve Hayes is gone. I think these are some of our, our best quality podcasts. If you are judging quality by number of, uses of the word fart per hour. Unquestionably highest. Highest quality that you can get.
1: Couldn't go farther.
0: Couldn't (laughs) Thank you, Jonah. (laughs) And um we'll see if we have jobs next week. So uh yeah, become a member of the dispatch and tell Steve that this is the content you've been waiting for. (laughs) And just don't or maybe just don't tell Steve this happened. What if we tell him that we just didn't do one this week.
1: Yeah, I think he's gonna listen to it. That's the problem.
0: Maybe not. We'll find out because if he doesn't say anything, we know he didn't listen
1: for sure.
0: And then that'll be great because um, then we'll be able to call him. on not listening to the content when he's gone.
1: Yeah. Just to, just to make sure that to test this Spanish wine is wildly overrated. Okay. So now we'll know <laughs> whether he listened to it or not.
0: Bye everyone. I don't want to talk to you no more. You empty headed animal
1: food trough whopper. I fart in your general direction.
2: Your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries. Is there someone else up there we can talk to? No, now go away or I shall taunt you a second time.